The following is a Mad Owl presentation. And now, Galactic Blue presents the closing tag. Here is your host, Raul Smith. Welcome. Welcome one. Welcome all. Welcome those near and far. From Salt Lake to Denver, Paris to Moscow. Welcome to another edition of The Closing Tag. I'm Raul Smith. I am the President, CEO, Co-Founder, and Lead Developer for Galactic Blue. Pardon the dust, we've had a few changes since you last heard or saw this podcast. One of those changes is that we have switched over from Buzzsprout, over for reasons, over to Inker. That's right, if you're hearing this podcast on Spotify, you may notice a few changes to the format. We'll get to those changes here in a bit. Also, I am pleased to announce that this podcast is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the aforementioned Spotify, Stitcher, and more, as well as video episodes of the podcast on our dedicated Facebook page, as well as YouTube. As I always say, we provide this to you free of charge, thanks to our sponsor, which of course is Galactic Blue, your professional web development, graphic design, and logo design resource. Visit galacticblue.net for more information on how your business can benefit from our services. So I mentioned format changes, and I'd like to go over those very briefly. I wanted to go back to kind of the roots of this podcast, particularly, you know, tech news and dev training. So at the end of this episode, we'll go into a tip that I think a lot of less experienced developers will find interesting. In the middle of all this chaos, we'll have a couple of rants, of course. But first, we're going to dive right into some tech news. Here is some tech news. According to the real-time stats dashboard site WakaTime, a lot of interesting trends are taking place in the development community. In the year 2021, the following statistics were tallied based on the number of hours worked on each individual thing. In terms of the text editor or IDE of choice, Visual Studio Code saw a 2% increase in hours used to a grand total of 21,409,687 hours throughout the U.S. in the year 2021. The next closest IDE was IntelliJ, which is used mostly for Python and whatnot. That was at 3,195,437. Rounding out the top 10 were PHP Storm, WebStorm, Android Studio, Visual Studio, not to be confused with Visual Studio Code, PyCharm, Vim, Sublime Text, and Goland. Despite a decrease in hours use, by 0.5% and increases in Sublime by 1%, the fact that Vim beat out both Sublime Text and Atom shows just how insane the transition for a lot of developers has been 
from Sublime Text and Atom to VS Code. As somebody that's worked with all three, I can safely say that Visual Studio Code has been by far the best option. It has taken everything that was appealing, at least to me, uh, about Sublime and Atom, and even made a few things better on their end, and just completely blown away the competition. Vim will always be around, mostly because some people are sadists and love coding in the command line. But the fact that Atom and Sublime Text have yet to introduce a feature in their programming IDs that Visual Studio Code doesn't already have says a lot about the bleak future of both text editors. And as for the rest of the ones that I mentioned before, PyCharm, Android Studio, PHP Storm, and the like, they all have their little niche audiences and will be around for a long time to come, especially Android Studio, since there's an increase in demand for uh, mobile apps, which will only further the need for an IDE that specializes in building mobile apps. Another fun fact is the amount of hours spent throughout the United States on each language itself. Now, this is a little tricky because there's a, some confusing data on this one. So follow along with me if you can. The number one language in the US in 2021, really no surprise here, was JavaScript at 6,109,325 hours. Now the part that's confusing is that they counted all aspects of JavaScript in this, yet Vue.js was independently listed at number six. Even more confusing is that React and Angular were both split up into JavaScript and TypeScript as both are implemented in these languages, which stands to reason why TypeScript was number two in the US at 5,491,610 hours. Rounding out the top 10 are PHP at three, again, no surprise, Python at four, Java, completely different from JavaScript, trust me on that one, at five, Vue.js at six, HTML at seven, yikes, C Sharp at eight, Dart at nine, and JSON at 10. Despite all the raving the community has done, tried to do for both Kotlin and Ruby on Rails, both either stayed firmly in their spot or saw a decrease in usage. Now for the fun stat, one that I'm sure will catch any developer off guard. For the first time in really years, pretty much since the launch of Windows 10, Windows became the preferred operating system for developers, barely edging out Mac OS by less than 300,000 hours. Linux, of course, was a distant third by less than half of what Mac OS produced. And much like them, Linux has their very devoted niche core audience that isn't going anywhere. But the fact that both Windows and Mac have done a tremendous job of implementing a lot of the IDEs that I mentioned earlier 
Combined with their user friendliness, it's easy to see why they were the preferred OS for developers touting a combined, you ready for this? 31,723,526 hours. As Ryan would say, oh my God. Overall, the market seems to be increasing, but only slightly. With work from home options better than ever, thanks in large part to the pandemic, and more demand in dev work increasing in the marketplace, the fact remains that web and app development is here to stay and is only going to get more in demand from here. According to the website Questor.org, that's spelled Q-U-A-S-T-O-R, LinkedIn has recently changed their tech stack. According to a blog post by the engineering team at LinkedIn, headed by, and I know I'm going to butcher these names, Stephen Chuang, Kinyu Yui, Aravind Yao, Rao, sorry, and Srihari Dudukuru, the popular professional social media network changed their analytics stack from proprietary platforms to more open source big data tech. The team expressed how during its quick and meteoric rise in the early 2010s, LinkedIn relied primarily on Informatica and AppWorks for ETL to a data warehouse built with Teradata. ETL, in case you don't know, and trust me, before I did my research for this study, I didn't even know this, stands for Extract Transfer Load. It's a process of copying data from various sources into a single destination system where it can be more easily consumed. While this served its purpose for the interim, it has its disadvantages. For instance, the lack of freedom to evolve was a big point of emphasis in the transition. Integration with internal and open source systems would have proven far more challenging had they stuck with the old format. Also lack of easy scalability. The limits of the third party licenses meant that they couldn't further develop the data pipeline stunting the rapid growth of the social media network. The new system relies on more of a Hadoop ecosystem, which provides the engineering team all the freedom and tools that they need to further build on and expand the capabilities of LinkedIn. For more information and the finer details of how this new Hadoop system promises great exponential growth for LinkedIn, Check out the article on Questor's website. That would be Q-U-A-S-T-O-R.org. Switching over to the tech blog, web3isgoinggreat.com, that's web, the number three, is going great, all one word, no hyphens, .com. The site Digiconomist reports that Bitcoin consumed almost as much energy in the year 2021 as the entire country of Argentina. The report claims that Bitcoin was responsible 
for 0.54% of the global electricity consumption and consumed 89% more energy in 2021 than in the previous year. So clearly the crash that happened after Elon Musk made that comment about Bitcoin no longer being a valid currency at Tesla dealerships didn't exactly stave off the cryptocurrency enthusiasts. And trust me, I'll get to Mr. Musk here a little bit later on. Since we're on the Web3 website and the topic of cryptocurrency, Tether has added $1 billion, that's with a B, to their supply. Again, Ryan would probably go, oh my God, with that number. Shortly after midnight on New Year's Day 2022, Tether, the stable coin that claims to be fully backed by actual currency, added a little over $1 billion US to its total supply. Despite their claims to be fully backed by actual currency, Tether has certainly raised the eyebrows of many, including legislators, with large regular additions to their supplies such as this one. Many are wondering if this isn't exactly an attempt on Tether's part to further manipulate the market and maybe pump their volume up just a bit. Yosuke Matsuda, the CEO of Square Enix, the video game maker that's made such classic franchises like Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, Kingdom Hearts, and one of my personal favorites, Just Cause, wrote the following statement recently. Quote, I realize that some people who play to have fun and who currently form the majority of players have voiced their reservations towards these new trends, end quote. The trends he's referring to is Web3, which is the combination of the old web system, the metaverse, and NFTs. The rumors have long been running rampant that many video game makers like Square Enix are looking to take advantage of the changing climate and look to establish themselves early in the process. In a tale that would definitely be suitable for the next Spooky Tech Stories episode of this podcast, Todd Kramer was scammed in a phishing attack. Now, you almost assuredly don't know who that is, so let me just kind of fill you in. Todd Kramer is an NFT collector who had acquired Bored Ape and other pricing NFTs. Well, one day, Mr. Kramer clicked on a phishing contract that appeared to be a legitimate NFT trader link. 16 NFTs from three collections were stolen, including eight board NFTs. In total, Todd lost a total around 593 ETH, which valuates in the current market to just over 2.2 million US dollars. Ouch. Additionally, the popular rapper Waka Flocka Flame had his OpenSea account hacked to the tune of 19,000 US dollars. Many are calling for more regulatory actions to help prevent or at least minimize something like this from happening. 
OpenSea is currently investigating and hopes to get to the bottom of these security breaches. Finally, some changes in Google's search algorithms courtesy of the newsletter Search Engine Roundtable. Google stated that this last year in 2021 was the most volatile in recent memory. Google stated that it does keep track of its algorithm changes, but it is hard to pinpoint specific URL changes. Google also stated in a separate statement that it will not rank G-rated sex toy companies by their name in the organic search, but they will gladly do so on pay-per-click ads. So you see, if you're selling sex toys, but you want to be found on Google, they recommend you um, pay up. While the last few weeks have been very quiet, as is usually the case around the holidays, rumblings in the industry point to a very busy start to 2022. So as they say, stay tuned. By the way, can we clarify something? How exactly is a sex toy company G-rated? I'm confused about that whole thing. Like, anyway. So I know some people are sick of hearing me talk about this movie on this podcast, but it's such a good short film that I think a lot of people should go check it out whenever they can. The movie I'm talking about, of course, is The Telltale Heart an award-winning film adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's short story which takes a headfirst deep dive into the sea of madness, retelling a classic psychological thriller with a mind-bending, pulse-pounding, bloody, disgusting film. Starring award-winning actor Sonny Grimsley and directed by the brilliant McLean Lindquist, The Telltale Heart has won awards and made appearances in many short film and independent film festivals ranging from the FilmQuest Film Festival in Provo, Utah, to being awarded Best Short Film at the Mindfield Film Festival in Albuquerque, New Mexico, to recently being named the Best Film of the 2021 Killer Valley Horror Film Festival, to appearing in 60, that's 6-0, international film festivals throughout the world. Revisit Edgar Allan Poe's short story as this film brings more than just a classic horror story to the new audience, but also discovers a creative way to explore the groundbreaking psychological thriller. The narrative is enhanced through an unprecedented use of sounds and light, and the characters blend a modern sensibility with anachronistic charm as seen through an unsettling array of time and space, while a shifting setting disorients the unwitting audience. What is seen and what is heard leads the perplexed audience to ask, what is insanity and what truly constitutes reality? TelltaleMovie.com for more information on this brilliantly insane thriller. So there was apparently a friendly bet the other day on how long it would take me to refrain from talking about disgusting people doing disgusting things. The over-under was set at 20 minutes. If you have the under, you win. 
So since the best of episode, which recapped the absolutely reprehensible actions of the powers that be over at Activision Blizzard, things have gone on a disgusting meter 1 to 10 from an 8 to a 12. Reports are piling in about the activities of Activision Blizzard's power-hungry executives, and it does not paint a pretty picture. First, there's the talk that then-Blizzard employee Jeff Fraser, who is basically the company's chief of web operations, that's the guy that's basically in charge of all of their websites and whatnot, posted bigoted and hateful messages in a Discord server going as far back as May of last year, spouting anti-LGBTQ, anti-women, and anti-handicapped rhetoric. Frazier and several other Blizzard employees created the Discord server, The Right Wing of Gaming, you know just by the name that that's trouble, to complain about how women like organizer Jessica Gonzalez and other libtards, his words, not mine, are ruining the whole company, quote unquote. This was in response to the lawsuit that I talked about a while back, uh, where the state of California was suing Activision Blizzard over numerous allegations of sexually deviant behavior towards female employees, including, but not limited to, Ms. Gonzalez. Now, to their credit, Blizzard has since fired Mr. Frazier and several of the employees that voiced their displeasure on that Discord channel. I think we can chalk that up more to PR cleanup, considering this company's stellar track record with women employees. Just ask former co-leader Jen O'Neill yeah, and, and since we're talking about Jen O'Neill, you know, she resigned. I briefly mentioned that. I touched on that during the best of. But more info has since come out that she, too, was apparently harassed daily and was compensated with less than half of what her male counterpart, co-leader Mike Ibarra, was making. When the face of your... We're trying to do better, honest, see, campaign decides to hell with this. I'm just going to grab my severance package and peace out. That's when you know you have a very serious problem. But that's not all. I know, shocking, there's more. Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick is now facing sexual, sexual assault allegations of his own. According to the report, and credit to the Wall Street Journal on this, Kotick was alleged to have pressured several young female employees to consume far too much alcohol and then would proceed to have his way with them. Now, at least one of these lawsuits have been settled out of court, but what this shows clear as day is that not only did Kotick, Alan Brack, Mike Ibarra, and other executives of the company knew that there were female employees being sexually harassed and assaulted, but that they were participating in the activities as well. Now, for the moment, let's completely set aside, if as difficult as it may seem, 
the sexual assault and allegation or sexual assault and harassment allegations. Another giant red flag coming from Activision Blizzard is that no sooner than the bleep hit the fan with the state of California in no doubt an attempt to do damage control, Activision Blizzard COO Daniel Allegri responded to the report that shows the company lacks diversity. I know, shocking, right? Allegri said, quote, as you will see by viewing the full data set, we are not sugarcoating the data or cherry picking only those points where we excel. While representation company-wide is similar to our peer gaming companies in the United States, this is wholly inadequate in my mind. We will do better. We have a lot of work to do as we build an organization where diversity is as much a core value as innovation." End quote. If not for the fact that this company is still facing several lawsuits alleging sexual misconduct, and the fact that you haven't really produced an innovative game in years, I mean, how many Call of Duty games do you really need? This statement might actually suffice. Sadly, this is Activision Blizzard we're talking about, and those words without action ring very hollow. Finally, there is the Chief Administrative Officer of Activision Blizzard, Brian Glado, who sent a company-wide email just before the holidays in response to an email sent by the Communications Workers of America, which is a union for video game developers, that urged employees at Activision Blizzard to sign union authorization cards in hopes of building a union for Activision Blizzard. This coming off the work stoppage in response to a huge layoff at Activision Blizzard-owned Raven Software, who celebrated Call of Duty making billions of dollars in sales by laying off a gigantic chunk of their quality assurance team. Lotto responded to this supposed coming together of employees with the following. Quote, we ask only that you take the time to consider the consequences of your signature on the binding legal document presented to you by the CWA. Achieving workplace culture aspirations will best occur through active, transparent dialogue between leaders and employees that we can act upon quickly. This is the better path than simply signing an electronic form offered to you by the CWA or awaiting the outcome of a legally mandated and regulated bargaining process sometime in the future. End quote. I mean, if not for the fact that the email in of itself, much like I'm sure every internal email from HR or Kotick responding to yet another claim of sexual harassment sounded intimidating and threatening, this would almost be downright hilarious. I mean, let's take an objective look at all of this, okay? A video game company who's making billions of dollars hand over fist, who has a deep-rooted history 
of really not caring about their employees or the customers who for years sexually harassed and or assaulted female employees and probably even contractors with impunity, even went as far as to have their legal department call the claims of cube crawls and harassing one particular female employee to the to the point of committing suicide as frivolous and untrue is going to talk to employees about open transparency between leadership and employees. These are the people that are going to lecture their employees on working towards a better tomorrow for all involved. You're joking with me, right? This is a joke, right? It's clear as day to me that this entire company from the highest of the higher-ups all the way down to Carl in accounting is just rotten to the core and full of misogynistic deviants who could care less who they hurt or who they offend because there's no system in place to deter this kind of behavior. And how can there be when the co-leader the COO, the CEO, and several other executives are doing the exact same scummy shit as the plebes. I'm making a solemn vow, solemn vow today as a video game enthusiast. I'm not going to only voice my displeasure with Activision Blizzard with this podcast and my voice, but also my wallet. I'm not going to spend a single red dime on any of the Activision Blizzard properties. Not Call of Duty, not World of Warcraft, not Overwatch, not Doom, not Guitar Hero, and that sucks because I love Guitar Hero. Not a single one until the company does a radical shift in how it operates, starting with the immediate and unconditional dismissals of Mikey Barra, Bobby Kotick, Brian Bellato, Alan Brack, and anybody else associated with this sleazy, sexist culture that Activision Blizzard, right, wrong, or indifferent, is now known for. And even then, I may not buy a Call of Duty game. And I implore anybody with any sensibility, decency, and humanity in their souls to do the same. So I, I feel like I need to start this hot next hot take with this. I am going on record as saying that I am a fan of cryptocurrency. I am a fan of Tesla. I wish I had a Tesla car, to be honest with you. Not because I think they or their creators are perfect and wonderful people that they, they could do no wrong, but because they symbolize a, a need for change. For all the reasons I've mentioned in the past, I feel like we need to move closer to electric cars and decentralized currency sooner rather than later. 
And Bitcoin and Tesla are good in that they're the first true step towards that change. However, I can also objectively look at Tesla owner Elon Musk and say the guy's a dirtbag. A greedy, self-absorbed, tone-deaf, out-of-his-element dirtbag. Now, before I go into why I think this, understand this one thing. These two facts are not mutually exclusive to one another. Tesla can be great for the future of motor vehicles in this country and be run by a complete knob. Again, not exclusive to one another. With that out of the way, I present my evidence before the court of public opinion. Exhibit A, market manipulation. Elon Musk, the owner for both Bitcoin and Tesla, announced several months ago, and I actually talked about this on this podcast, that Bitcoin would no longer be valid currency at all Tesla outlets. This ploy was to intentionally drop the Bitcoin stock just enough to cause a scare, but I believe it went horrifically worse than intended. Dropping the Bitcoin stock from the mid $60,000 US dollar range all the way down to less than $50,000. A drop of over $10,000 US dollars in a single two-day period. Ouch. Exhibit B. A blind eye to the impact his companies are having on the environment. Yes. Tesla promises hope for a better tomorrow, but at what cost? The batteries in Tesla cars will eventually get so worn out that they will likely need to be replaced. Where do all those dead batteries go? Not exactly biodegradable, wouldn't you say? Additionally, as I mentioned in the tech news segment, Bitcoin consumed almost as much energy from mining in 2021 than the entire country of Argentina. In a time where we are all looking to reduce our carbon footprint, Musk's companies are out here increasing theirs. Exhibit C, poorly ran quality assurance teams. The quality assurance team at Tesla have not exactly had a cheery last three years. If you recall, during a news conference unveiling the new pickup truck in the Tesla lineup, Musk bragged about how the windshield was crack-proof and then went to go test it out, only to shatter the windshield. Oops. Then came the news a few months ago that many Tesla cars are under recall for safety features either malfunctioning, failing, or altogether not even being present. This, of course, sent Tesla stock dropping right before the holidays. Not exactly a good Christmas present, I would say. So you're probably asking yourself, if I find Elon Musk and or his companies that, dis that distasteful, why do I cheer for him so much? Well, that's a very good question, and I hope to have a serviceable answer. First, he is fully self-aware of the problems that he's facing. He's gone on record numerous times about how Tesla needs to do a better job at quality assurance and has been vocal about the environmental impact Bitcoin mining has caused. 
Remember, the reason why he caused that free fall months ago when he announced Bitcoin was no longer acceptable legal, legal tender in Tesla stores was that he felt the mining was taking too much of a toll on the environment. Good intention, but maybe bad execution. He is always innovating and thinking forward. He founded Hyperloop with the idea in mind of taking a speed train going from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, which is a seven hour drive, or if you catch it in non-peak hours, and commuting back and forth in a matter of 30 or so minutes. He also founded SpaceX out of frustration that NASA funds were being cut and felt that humanity should not stop in their endeavor to explore the stars. While he is the first, he will not be the last. Let's face it, competition is good. Doesn't matter what industry you're in, competition is good and healthy. There will be other contractors that will create fully electric vehicles, and there's a good chance at some point Ford and Chevy will get in on that fun. And the topic of car batteries filling landfills will be to tomorrow what coal mining was 10 years ago. There are already other billionaires aiming for the stars, including Virgin Mobile's Richard Branson and Amazon's Elon Musk, or not Elon Musk, sorry, Jeff Bezos, Peruvian slip. There are a ton of cryptocurrencies out there, maybe too many. And while Bitcoin is still the top dog and the market bends to its will, the introduction of NFTs makes Ethereum a big time player as well. And there will be other contractors looking to speed people along from point A to point B using hyper fast commuter trains. Like I said in the very first episode of this podcast, progress is inevitable. There is no use trying to beat back the winds of change or the tide of progress. Greater men have tried, all have failed. And while you can cling to your US dollar very tight, your Ford pickup truck that gets maybe 15 miles to the gallon if you treat her proper, and your slow Greyhound and Amtrak commute from one town to another, they won't be around forever. Remember, Sears at one time was considered to be the cream of the crop in this profession. Kids, if you ever want to feel depressed, Google Sears and Craftsman. That would be spelled S-E-A-R-S. -E Elon Musk can be both a trailblazer and a turd bucket. Let's face it, many men in history have been considered to be trailblazers in their time and also turd buckets today. Elon Musk, just like always, is just ahead of the game. Raul Smith here with a major website announcement. If you're listening to this podcast before January 17th, 2022, come join me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash one on January 17th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for a special launch party of the Closing Tag website. I will do a live podcast right there on the stream as we launch the new Closing Tag website. 
This has been months in the making, and I hope you will all enjoy it as much as I have. If you're listening after the fact, that's okay too. Go to closingtag.com to find video and audio archives, find out where you can jump in on the Discord conversations, see the links to our Facebook and YouTube pages, and so much more. No longer will I have to tell everybody the links are in the description because they'll be on the closingtag.com. Hope to see you all on the 17th. Okay, class. It's time we close this podcast out with a few developer tips. Professor Smith will see you now. Oh, so I kind of mentioned before that we were going to bring the dev tips and training back uh, to the podcast, and that's exactly what we're doing right now. So we're going to close this out with some pretty awesome tips. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Bootstrap, I will kind of go over it briefly. Bootstrap basically is a kind of built-in library to help developers more easily put together a website. So we're on the getbootstrap.com website. So I'm going to click on examples real quick. You can see on this screen here, we've got some examples of say some headers. If it'll load, yep. Awesome. These are examples of headers that you can use in Bootstrap. You can also use it to do features or columns, if you will. And this is mostly what we're going to be focusing on today is the ability to put together a string of columns or divs and have them all vertically aligned however you want. So let's go ahead and get started on that. Uh, first thing we're going to want to do is we're going to want to download the both the CSS and the JavaScript since we're going to be working strictly with HTML. So let's go ahead and copy that over to our, hold on one second, that's the wrong window, stand by. There it is. Okay. So we're going to want to put this in the head of the HTML, so a copy paste. Indent properly, thank you. All right, so now we're gonna also wanna copy paste the JavaScript, but we're gonna wanna put this at the very end of our HTML, so right after the body. So go ahead and save that. Thankfully, I have this already lined up on the, or in the browser, I should say. So, Let's go ahead and refresh that real quick. Now, if you notice, when I refreshed it, this changed a little bit right here. That's because originally it was using just your standard basic styles, but once I imported the bootstrap styles, it changed the type of the header. 
So now if we go back, we're just having a little bit of fun. It, it says we're about to have some fun with JavaScript, with Bootstrap. So that's what we're doing. So we're also going to do this real quick. And get, we're going to put a div with a class of container. And we're going to bring this into set div. But we're also going to give this a couple of classes as well. So text center and display one. So let's go ahead and save that. Switch this back over. And refresh. And you can notice now the text is centered and the type of the header has changed considerably. So no longer is it you know big and bulky, it's now even bigger, but now more you know thin. So now we're going to put in three divs. So let's go ahead and do that right now. First, we're going to put in a div class of row, and I'll explain why here in a bit. Div class of column four. And we're going to basically have a div of width 100%. Height 90 pixels and background color of will go blue. And then a non breaking space in there because if we don't put that non breaking space in there, then it's not going to register that, hey, there's something in this div, let's show it. Otherwise, it's just going to basically not show the div, which we don't want that. So we're good there. And I don't know why my phone is vibrating right now. Oh, okay. I'll answer that later. So let's go ahead and copy paste this. We're going to give each div, we're going to have three divs. Each div is going to have a different height. So we'll go 120 and 60, and we'll have different colors, so red and green. Now if we save this, switch it back over. Refresh it. You'll notice all three are aligned up top. They're all aligned at the top. But what if I don't want them aligned up top? What if I want them centered? Well, that's where Bootstrap comes in. So let's go ahead and search the documentation. Vertical alignment. So here you'll notice that it is 
giving you some options and some ideas on how to vertically align different uh, spans or divs or whatnot. So we're going to want to vertically align Oh, you know what? We're actually going to want this because this only aligns text inside of a particular line. We're going to want Flexbox. Now, Flexbox is another interesting little thing where basically it's giving you the freedom to have divs basically align or just, uh, I'm trying to think of the word here. It gives you the flexibility, hence Flexbox, to have your divs auto-adjust for the occasion. So if you have divs that are, that are going to take up more space than is available, it's going to bring it down automatically is basically what it is. It's also going to give us the flexibility to do what I'm about to do. So we're going to want this right here. So deflex align item center. So I'm going to copy that. Let's bring it back over to the thing. And the reason why we wanted a row is because we want them all to line up in a row in a single line. Now, the other reason is columns will not work accordingly in Bootstrap unless they're in a parent row. So go ahead, copy, paste, deflex align item center into that row. We're going to save it. Switch it back over to Bootstrap Fun and refresh, and voila, you will notice that they are now centered. But now for the fun part. What if I don't want them either centered or up top? What if I want them all aligned along the bottom? You can do that too. We're going to, instead of doing a line item center, we're going to do a line items end. So let's go over here. Line items end, save. We'll switch it back over here. Let's refresh it. Now, as you can see, all three divs are aligned along the bottom. So now for the fun, fun part. What if I want to stretch them out? Let's stretch them out a bit, shall we? So it's going to take the tallest of the divs, so this middle one right here, the one that's red, and it's going to stretch them all out to fit that particular element. So I'm going to go ahead and stretch it out. Almost forgot to switch it back over here. 
We already tacked in the stretch, so we're saving it. Switch it back over. And refresh. Now you notice that these did not auto adjust to that. But if you go ahead and inspect the element, all three divs should have the same height. And they do. Now you're going to notice quite a bit of this through your, your, um, throughout your dev career. And it's gonna come in handy for when you want to create something that's gonna have like different sizes of elements, different picture sizes, whatnot. In fact, the website that's gonna be launching soon for the closing tag website, that is going to have an example of what we just did here embedded in the website itself. So that's gonna be a fun thing to point out once the site goes live, which I have some announcements for that that's also in this particular episode. So, I hope that you will enjoy this particular little tip that I just showed you. And by the way, just FYI, Bootstrap is definitely a lot of fun, but it is not the be-all end-all that a lot of people claim it is. So. Yes, Bootstrap can be awesome, can be fun, but there are other avenues that you can go to like Flexbox, like uh, Semantic UI. Just play around with different libraries, different uh, workarounds, and see what best suits you as a developer, as a design, a web designer, and work with what works best for you but also kind of venture out you know try out different things try out different libraries try out different methods of resolving problems that's really what a web designer web developer software engineer really is is a problem solver you're solving a problem for somebody that has hired you to solve said problem. So go out and find the best solution that best fits you, that also best fits your employer or client, but also find a solution that you, know, you can work with and also branch out and explore the dev world, if you will. I mean, the, you know the old saying, the world is your oyster? As a developer, that saying could not ring any truer. That does it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you to everybody that has helped make the podcast as enjoyable as it has been. 
We are on all the major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. And video episodes of the podcast are up on the Facebook page as well as on YouTube. This is where I normally would say, links are in the description, but soon they'll be on the new closing tag website. One new thing that will be in the description of this episode, depending on what provider you're listening to this on, is a small donation link that will help further fund the podcast. Go check it out and drop some love if you'd be so kind, but only if you can. I don't want you dropping your red money on me. Not little old me. You need a place to sleep too. Again, thank you so much for watching and for listening. And remember, as always, to include your closing tax. This has been a Mad Owl presentation.